You're listening to Pastor Ryan Couch at Calvary Chapel of Crook County as he teaches through the book of Luke. If you have your Bibles ready, let's join Pastor Ryan now. As we look at Luke chapter 2 this morning, continuing our series in the book of Luke that we started last week, we're going to see that Jesus' birth was very unique and that it does matter to Christmas and that the reason why Christmas is a special day is because of who Jesus is. And we're going to see four kind of breaks in our passage this morning, making our way through Luke chapter 2. We're going to see Jesus' birth. Then we're going to see the shepherd's announcement. Then Jesus presented in the temple. And then lastly, Jesus in Jerusalem. And so, verses 1 through 7, Jesus' birth. Let's read that and, and we'll talk about some of those things. It came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, every one to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And so Luke gives us a little bit of historical background to kind of place us at the right time. And this probably was around 4 B.C. that Jesus Was born. Do we know if he was born in December? No idea. Does it matter? Not really. Has really no relevance to the issue at all. And sometimes people want to divert the real meaning of Christmas with all of these controversial things, like when was he born exactly? On what date? And and all the controversy surrounding which Quirinius was this because there was more than one and 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 all of the debating that can kind of go on about when Jesus was born and all that and it really doesn't matter at all the fact is is that God dwelt among us that's what's important that God became a man and Luke gives us some historical background to to give us a bit of a setting and and I hold the opinion that it probably was around 4 BC and notice that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus. The Caesar at that time, the, the, the Roman emperor, wanted to, to, to have a census of all of the Jews. Remember that the Roman people, the Roman government was ruling the world at that time, Pax Romana. Rome was in charge of the entire known world at this time. And a decree went out, By a man. It was sent out by a man, but it was determined by God from the foundations of the world. No man set this up. This was God's doing. And you might look at the the way that your life has gone. You might look at some of the things that have happened in your life, and you might think that you decreed them, that you brought them to pass, or that somebody else brought them to pass. And the fact is, is that God has been leading and guiding your life from the very beginning. And it says that Joseph and Mary made the trip from Nazareth, where they lived, to Bethlehem. This was a a difficult trip. This was a trip that it would involve a lot of 
hardships at that time. They didn't have cars, obviously. They didn't have nice paved roads. This would have been a treacherous journey for them. And here was Mary, pregnant, very pregnant. In fact, so pregnant that she delivers the baby while they're on this trip. And it says that when they got to Bethlehem, Mary began to go into labor. They wanted to to stay in the inn, which would have been a common place at that time, a, a gathering place for travelers, not unlike our hotels today, but a little bit different in that there would have been also a place for you to store your livestock and your animals. And the, the second story of the building was typically where the people slept and the lower part of the building was for the animals. And they get there, Joseph, you can imagine, runs in, he, he talks to the innkeeper, do you have any room? No, we're booked up, man. It's, it's, it's crazy. This census and everybody's here that's lived here and moved away and, and, and it's just crazy. We don't have any room. But I can offer you the stable area. And a lot of times this innkeeper is criticized as cruel, as inhospitable. How could he do this to a pregnant woman? The fact is the people are already checked in. The, the place is full. It's crowded. What is he going to do? He offers them the best thing that he had. This place was not available to Jesus because it was overcrowded. And I want you to think about your own life. I want you to think about your own heart. And that many of us haven't made room for Jesus, not because we don't believe in him, not because we hate him. You consider yourself to be a Christian. You're, you're American. You believe in God. Like many of the people in the video, Christmas is an important time to you. It's a time for family and celebration. It's a time to remember who Jesus is, and yet there really isn't room in your heart for him. Not because you hate him, not because you don't believe in him, but like the innkeeper, there's no room. You've crowded him out with other things, maybe with family. Maybe your family is your God, your children. Maybe it's a career. Maybe it's a lack of career, lack of a job right now, and that has become your all-consuming focus. That has become your God, the quest for a job has become your God. Maybe it's recreation or a hobby, hunting. Maybe it's shopping. Here were all those people out at three in the morning. Some had slept there all night long to get what they wanted. But it would seem rather preposterous to those same people to get up at three in the morning to pray or to seek the Lord. And see, it's our priorities. We, we might say that we believe in Jesus. We might say that Jesus is important to us, but we've crowded him out with so many other things. He doesn't have the preeminence. He's not our focus. And so you guys, it isn't about saying, I believe in Jesus. James tells us that even the devil believes. It's not about saying that you recognize that he's important. It's not about celebrating Christmas. Does not make you a Christian. Have you crowded Jesus out of your life? with so many other things? Is he just one of many important things to you? Does Jesus take a back seat to several other things in your life? Have you crowded him out? Have you not made room for him because there's too many other things going on? And maybe it's, well, when I'm less busy, when I don't have so much responsibility, then I can make Jesus more important to me. And the fact is, you never will. If you don't recognize the importance of that today, it will only become more difficult for you as you get older because you harden your heart and you harden your heart. And once you make a decision to reject the gospel 
and to reject Jesus and to reject the fact that he wants all of you and you're willing to harden your heart to that, it only gets easier to make that decision again and more difficult to do something other than that. And so today, have you made room for Jesus in your life or have you crowded him out with many other things? Jesus was born, as we talked about last week, into an impoverished family in a small town in the middle of nowhere to a young woman who was engaged to be married, betrothed was the word at that time, but their engagement was legally binding, although they couldn't consummate the marriage for a year. It, it sounds like a terrible idea to me. I, I don't know who came up with that idea, but it's, it's torture, I think. But the fact was that they were married legally, but they didn't live together. They weren't allowed to have sex. They weren't allowed to live as a married couple for a year. And so when Mary comes up pregnant, this is a problem because everybody knows she's not completely married. They haven't had the ceremony. She's betrothed. So, I mean, think about it if you were her neighbor or her aunt or somebody in Nazareth. It was a small town. It was a tiny town. You don't think word got around? Did you hear about Mary? She's pregnant. Yeah, she says it's by the Holy Spirit. Yeah, whatever. I knew they wouldn't make it. Another one bites the dust. And some people disagree with that and they say, oh, that stigma wasn't upon Jesus. Really? Well, then why later did the Pharisees say to Jesus that he was born in immorality? That he was the son of an adulteress. Why, why would they say that to him? It's because he was born with that stigma. And so here's Jesus, born into a nobody family in an obscure hick town that later Nathaniel would say, what good could ever come out of Nazareth? An impoverished family with a stigma on his head, a stigma that he was illegitimate, that his mom was loose. You might think that God can't relate to you. Maybe you think, you know what? God doesn't understand my life. He doesn't understand what I've been through. He doesn't understand the abuse. He doesn't understand the difficulty. He doesn't understand the trials that I've gone through in my life. And here's the thing. He does understand. He was born into the most horrendous of circumstances. Even his very birth was insane. A a surrounding that we wouldn't put even upon our enemies And some of you moms can think about when you had your child, especially your first child, and how particular you were about where it was going to be and the cleanliness and just the right doctor. And can you imagine having your baby out in a barn, placing your baby not in warm blankets in a heated room, but in the cold, wrapping it up in some cloths that you find and laying your baby in a feeding trough that just moments before was being used by slobbering cows, I don't think that would be too cool. But our God, the God that created everything in this world, that's how he came into the world. It's amazing. You think of the surroundings. Cows mooing, sheep bleeding, animal feces, flies buzzing. That's the surrounding by which God came into the world. And so when you say God can't relate to my life, when you say he can't relate to my My poverty. He can't relate to to the fact that I I can't make ends meet. Yeah, he can. He he can't relate to to the difficulties that I've had in life. Read the Gospels. Read what Jesus went through. Look at the circumstances surrounding his birth. Jesus wants to and can relate to you. 
Now there were in the same country, verse 8, shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven, that the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem, and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste, and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. And so you're God. And you're going to make the birth of your son, who was just born into the world, known. I mean, because it's not known by very many people yet. He's born in a barn, few people around, in a tiny village outside of Jerusalem. And so now's the opportunity And if you're God, who are you going to make it known to? Celebrities. Let's get it on TV. Let's let's have a press conference. Let's get important people there. Let's get the rich and the famous and the intelligent and the well-respected. Let's get all of them there. Let's make sure that the red carpet is rolled out. No, that wouldn't be fitting for Jesus who was born into such obscure circumstances. So let's find the most lowly to announce his birth to. Let's find the lowest of the low, the blue collar guys, the guys that were despised in that culture because they were ceremonially unclean. They, they couldn't really get to the temple very often because of their job. They, they couldn't have the, the proper cleansing that that one needed before they ate and and all of the other things that would be necessary to truly be a clean and accepted person in that rigid, legalistic culture. And so they were outcasts. And who does God go to? Them. And again, you might think, God can't relate to me. God doesn't want to relate to me. God doesn't care about me. I've destroyed my life. My life is meaningless. I'm despised. I'm rejected. Nobody wants to have anything to do with me. I've ruined my life. My family has said, we're done with you. We're tired of your drinking. You've drank yourself into oblivion. Maybe you've ruined your life with drugs or with extramarital affairs. Maybe your children have no respect for you whatsoever. You don't talk to them anymore. Maybe your parents don't have anything to do with you because you burned too many bridges. I don't know what the story might be, but maybe you're despised here this morning. And here's the thing. God associates with the despised of this world. You look at Jesus' life and you look at the people that Jesus hung out with and you see the religious leaders and they were constantly saying, why are you hanging out with those people? 
Why are you associating with them? Why would you talk to them? That person's a sinner. You look at who God announced his birth to. Lowly shepherds. The despised of the world. And no matter where you're at right now. No matter how far you've turned from God. He wants to bring you back to himself today. He can give you new life. He can take what the world says is useless and despised and rejected. And he can give you new life. You may not have a friend in this world, but God loves you. And he gave his life for you. And he wants you to turn your life over to him. He wants to relate to you. He wants to have relationship with you. And there's three things that the angels reveal to us about Jesus. Initially, we we see the one angel standing before them. And then ultimately, it's going to be a a whole host. And I love how God just sort of eases these shepherds into things. At first, it's one angel. And they were freaked out about that. Then there was a whole multitude. But the first angel said to them, I bring you good tidings of great joy. Then the angel said, For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, one who brings salvation. Jesus' name means Jehovah is salvation. And then finally, the whole multitude sings and says, Glory to God in the highest, on earth peace. Goodwill toward men. And so Jesus brings peace. Jesus brings joy. Jesus brings salvation. And Jesus brings peace. The things that every person is looking for. How many people want to have joy? They want to be happy. The American dream. I just want to be happy. And we assume God wants me to be happy. And why is this happening to me, Lord? Why is my marriage falling apart? Don't you want me to be happy? Lord, why are my finances in, in ruin? Why, why did I lose my job? God, why, why did my wife or my husband walk out on me? God, don't, don't you want me to be happy? Lord, why, why am I going through all of these difficulties? Why do I have so many trials? Don't you want me to be happy? And see, you guys, when we have that mindset, and many in the church today do, books are written about how God wants you to be happy. Jesus did not come, take on human flesh, die a sinner's death so that you would be happy. He didn't come for you to fulfill the American dream. He didn't come to solve all your problems. God didn't come so that your marriage would be better. God didn't come so that your finances could get in order. God didn't dwell among us to give us a better life or to make us a better person. You see, that's what the gospel has become today, and it is absolutely false. The gospel today has just become another self-help idea amidst many other self-help ideas. Jesus is just a piece of the puzzle. You just need to add Jesus to everything else you're doing and he'll make your life better. Isn't that what it's all about? So that you can be happy? Jesus doesn't want to be a piece of your puzzle. Jesus is not interested in giving you a better life. Jesus is not interested in making you a better person. Jesus wants to be the entire puzzle. Jesus wants to be the focus in your everything. He wants you to surrender your whole life to him. Not so that you can be a better person, so that you can be a new person. Not so that you can have a better life, so that you can have new life. Not so that you can be happy, but so that you can have lasting joy. See, because happiness, it's based on my circumstances. And so a couple years ago, I mean, I was stoked. Things were going well. The economy was trucking, buying houses and selling houses. I had so much work, 
I didn't even answer the phone. I just hit reject. I didn't want that job anyway. But now I found out my house is worth actually less than what I paid for it and what I owe. And now the phone isn't ringing anymore, and I'm scrapping for jobs. And that's probably you this morning. And a couple of years ago, oh, you were so happy, so, so happy. But now, not so much. Oh, a few years ago, I mean, I felt great. I was doing amazing. But now, physically, I'm falling apart. I just found out I have a a terminal disease, or I just found out that I've got some physical ailment that's really a problem. So now I'm not happy. Oh, a couple of years ago, my marriage was amazing. Now it's falling apart. Now I'm not happy. A couple of years ago, my kids were doing so well. Just fill in the blank. And it doesn't even have to be a couple of years ago. It could have been yesterday. It could have been this morning. And see, when your happiness is rooted in circumstances of life, you will be on a roller coaster ride and you'll never get off. But see, Jesus doesn't want to make you happy. Jesus wants to give you lasting joy. And that's what the shepherds found out that Christmas evening, that Jesus brings joy. Jesus brings salvation. And we use that term, I'm saved, or that guy needs to get saved, or do you want to get saved? Saved from what is the question. What am I being saved from? Am I being saved from a difficult life? Am I being saved from a marriage that's in the toilet? Am I being saved from not having any money? Am I being saved from being physically ill? Is that salvation? Is that what I'm being saved from? Is that what God has for me? Is that why Jesus came? Again, salvation has nothing to do with any of those things. Because you guys, God doesn't want to do a remodel job on your life. And that's how the gospel is often presented. God wants to come into your house and he, and he wants to clean it up. In fact, he'll start with the outside. He'll just paint it, make it look pretty, put some flowers out front, just so that when people drive by, it looks good. Give it a little curb appeal. Give your life some curb appeal. That's what God wants to do. No, God's not interested in curb appeal. The Pharisees were interested in curb appeal. They were interested in a facade of having your outward man look great, but inside there's nothing but death, separation from God. And I think that some of you are in that place, just putting on a show, a facade, a facade of God. I believe in God. Look, he's cleaned up my life. I don't cuss. I don't smoke. I don't drink. Well, at least when people are looking. And you know what? God doesn't care about that. Smoke a cigarette. Drink a beer. God doesn't care. What he cares about is your heart. So you can quit smoking and you can quit drinking all you want. And you can quit cussing all you want. But if your heart is opposed to God, my friends, you're headed for destruction. You're headed for eternal separation from God. It's not about cleaning up your life a little bit. You know what? Anybody can do that. With a little determination, anybody can do that. What God wants to do is completely eradicate the old man and give you a new life. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ Jesus... He is a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. See, God's not in the business of remodeling. God's into new construction. He wants to give you a new life with new hope and new purpose and new meaning, a new destiny beyond this life. And when you have that, all of a sudden you have a new outlook on your marriage and your finances and your relationships and your physical health. It changes everything. God came 
to bring salvation. God dwelt among us to give you salvation, to save you from his wrath, which is to come. And I would be remiss. I would be remiss if I told you only about God's love and only about his grace and only about his kindness and his mercy. And I didn't tell you about the fact that God is completely holy and filled with judgment and wrath. And that's why on the cross, Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because at that moment, God the Father was pouring out his wrath upon Jesus so that you don't have to endure it. The Bible says that apart from Jesus, you are an enemy of God, an enemy of God. But he doesn't want you to be an enemy. He wants to bring you peace. As he says, on earth, peace, goodwill toward men, toward everyone. He wants to give you peace. You can have peace with God. Maybe you're looking for peace right now. In a world filled with turmoil, you're looking for peace. And we just went through an election process, and everybody thinks, maybe not all of you, but many, many people in our country think, we're finally going to have peace. We're going to have rest from the economic struggles and from the political struggles and from the the wars that are going on around the world. We're finally going to have peace. And we all know that there's no peace in that, that no man can bring us peace. He can promise peace. He can promise to solve all of our problems, but there's no peace apart from Jesus. And maybe you're looking for peace and you need to find it in Jesus and him alone. The shepherds, once they heard this, once they heard that the Messiah was coming, the one that they had been waiting for, they ran with haste, only giving one sign that they would find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. It, it was so unique, there wouldn't be anyone else like it. You'll find him. And so they sought Jesus. And this morning, you guys, you've come here, obviously, with some heart for God, with some belief system, with, with some idea that this is a place that you can find God and that you can find some of the things that you're looking for. And I want to encourage you, seek Jesus and him alone. That's all that we have to offer you. I don't have a self-help manual for you. I don't have 101 ways to clean up your life, to solve your problems, but I can offer you Jesus. Yeah, but that's rather simplistic. I mean, my problems are complicated. Look, when you get home from work, if you work a job that you get dirty or if you're out hunting and you get dirty, when you come home, you take off your clothes and you get in the shower. You don't try to clean up before you get in the shower. You just get in the shower. And so you've got to quit trying to clean up your life before you can come to Jesus. He knows everything. You're not hiding anything from him. So just come clean. Just give him your heart. Just open yourself up and say, Jesus, I have absolutely screwed my life up to the point that I now recognize that I've got no other option. It's taken me a long time, but God, take me. Take my life. Take my heart. Do with me as you please. And he'll give you joy and salvation and peace if you'll seek him this morning. And then the shepherds, once they went and saw Jesus and they recognized that this wasn't just another baby. I mean, how many times have you guys went to visit family or friends that have a baby? And you go to the hospital and you see another purplish blue baby with no hair or a little bit of hair. And everybody thinks they're the most amazing, cute babies, at least mom and dad. And you're going, wow, that's interesting looking. (laughs) And you say nice things, and you give them a card, and you bring them flowers, and you wish them well, and you pray for them. 
And then you leave, and if, you've ha- if you have older kids, you go, thank God, we don't have babies anymore. And you leave, and you go have lunch. How often have you went to the hospital, seen that adorable little baby, and walked away thinking anything other than it was just another baby? Never. But these shepherds went to that manger that day, and they walked away, and they said, there's something unique about this child. What was it? What, was it the amazing royalty that surrounded his birth? Was it the fact that he was laying in amidst animals and all of the other things that were surrounding his birth? Is that what made it amazing? No, they recognized that this child was God in human flesh. And they went out and they proclaimed him. They made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. They went and they told everybody that they could possibly tell. And to those of you that know Jesus this morning, that are followers of him, This is an amazing example for us. What's holding you back? You've discovered Jesus. You've seen that he's unique above anybody else in this world. That God dwelt among us. And what is stopping you from proclaiming him to everybody that you come in contact with? There's only a few possibilities. Fear, that's a real one. We all experience it. But we've got to get over it. We've got to pray for boldness. We've got to have our fear for that person and what they are up against overcome our fear of talking to them or offending them. Maybe it's indifference. You just don't care. And you need to ask God to soften your heart. You need to ask God to change your heart. You need to rediscover Jesus this morning like the shepherds did. And when you rediscover him, you don't walk away indifferent. You don't walk away saying, I don't really care. I've got other things to do. There's big deer to kill. There's big elk to hunt. There's shopping to do. None of that is all that important anymore when you recognize and you rediscover Jesus and he revolutionizes your life. And if you haven't experienced that lately, my friends, don't leave here this morning without being absolutely revolutionized by Jesus Christ. He wants to take your life and to give it meaning and purpose beyond the mediocrity of this world. The shepherds proclaimed him. And then Jesus is presented in the temple. It says, When eight days were completed for the circumcision of the child, his name was called Jesus. Jehovah is salvation. His name was fitting for who he is. Jesus didn't come to abolish the law. He didn't come to be a rebel. Jesus fulfilled the law. Even being circumcised and being presented in the temple, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Now, when the days of her purification, 40 days, had passed, according to the law of Moses, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord. A pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was just and devout waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ or before he had seen the Messiah, the one that they had been waiting for. So he came by the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents, Joseph and Mary, brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, He took him up, he took Jesus up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, 
which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign which will be spoken against. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Now there was one, Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was of great age and had lived with a husband seven years from her virginity. And this woman was a widow of about 84 years who did not depart from the temple but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. And coming in that instant, she gave thanks to the Lord and spoke of him to all those who looked for redemption in Jerusalem. So when they had performed all things according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own city, Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. And so they present Jesus in the temple like every other Jewish male that opens the womb. The firstborn son was to be consecrated to God, set apart to God. And they offered a sacrifice. Now Leviticus tells us that it could either be a lamb, or if they didn't have enough money for a lamb, it could be a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And that's what they opted for because they were so poor. And as they're there in the temple, and they're doing what so many had done before them, there's a man there, Simeon, and a woman there, Anna. Both were totally sold out to the Lord. Both were people that were at the temple all of the time. They had seen this happen hundreds of times. Parents bringing their firstborn son. It's not anything unusual, but this one was. And do you notice how all of these circumstances, they're very mundane, they're very ordinary, except Jesus in the midst of them makes them supernatural and extraordinary. And that's what Jesus wants to do in your life. He wants to take, take what is otherwise ordinary and mundane, and he wants to revolutionize it. You see, apart from Jesus, this story is not a big deal. We wouldn't be talking about it. But it's that God dwelt among us. That's what makes it significant. And Simeon, he teaches us a few more things about Jesus. Simeon and Anna teach us three things that I want us to look at. First of all, Simeon tells us that Jesus is the dividing line. Simeon blessed God. He blessed Mary and Joseph. And then he said, behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel and of the world. This morning, you guys, there is a line that is drawn in the sand. And the line is Jesus. Later in the Gospels, Jesus would say, I am the rock. And you can choose one of two ways to relate to me. One, you can stumble upon me and be broken. Or two, I can fall upon you and crush you. What's your choice? What are you going to do with Jesus? He is the dividing line, the ultimatum. You have to choose what you're going to do with Jesus. You see, when you talk to people like we, we do, we go out on the streets, make videos, do evangelism, whatever. What do you often hear people say? If you ask them, are you going to go to heaven when you die? I'm not really sure. I think so. Probably I'm a good person. Or no, I've lived a horrible life. I'm probably going to hell. That's where all my friends are anyway. Here's the thing. 
again, it's the lie of the devil who has distorted our thinking. Because you guys, it doesn't have anything to do with how good of a person you are or with what kind of a sinner you are. It has nothing to do with sin. Jesus has already taken care of your sin at the cross. Jesus said, it is finished. It's taken care of. It's completed. It's done. And so it doesn't have anything to do with your goodness. What it has everything to do with is what you do with Jesus. He's the dividing line. Jesus said, you can stumble upon me and be broken, or I can fall upon you and you will be crushed. Or as Simeon says here, the fall and the rising. The fall, those that fall, those that choose that option, are those that are arrogant and proud and self-righteous and say, I don't need Jesus. I can do this on my own. I'm a good enough person. I don't need his offer of love and grace. I'll make it to God on my own. And you will fall. And you will be subject to the wrath of God. Or the rising. This is the salvation of those that trust Jesus. That say, you know what? I don't have anything to offer God. Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I've got nothing to offer you, Lord. I'm coming to you with a life that I have completely destroyed. And here it is, God. And the Bible says that he who knew no sin was made to be sin with our sin, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And so he takes your broken, busted, battered, bruised life, and he gives you his righteousness. It's the ultimate trade. It gets no better than that. But you have to admit you need him. You have to lay down your pride and confess him as your Lord and Savior. He's the dividing line, you guys. It's all about Jesus. He's also the revealer of hearts. Look at the end of verse 35. That the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. And maybe this morning, through our music, through the video, through conversation, through the teaching of the word, you feel like your heart has been ripped open. And God's just looking right into your heart. Look, he was already doing that. Hopefully, he's just using this to bring you to a place where you recognize your need for him. He wants to reveal your heart. He wants to show you how wicked your heart is and how far from him you are so that you can turn to him and find new life and forgiveness and freedom from the guilt that you're experiencing. And Anna teaches us that he's the redeemer. It says that Anna, in that instant, after waiting all of these years, there's question of exactly how old Anna is, but she's an old woman, at least 84 years old, been a widow for many years serving God, night and day and finally she sees the hope that she's been waiting for the hope that everyone had been waiting for those that were looking for redemption in jerusalem he's the redeemer what does it mean to redeem it means to buy back it means to purchase and jesus you guys came took on human flesh lived a normal life for many years so that he could relate to you a life free from sin but was tempted in all ways that we are He walked this earth. He dwelt among us. He related to us. And for three years, he taught, he healed, he blessed people, he challenged people. And then innocently, he was arrested, charged, beaten, brutalized, crucified. God poured out his wrath upon him. He was separated from his father for the first time in all eternity. God turned his back on his son. We can't fathom the darkness the despair that Jesus went through. And he did all of that for you. He dwelled among us because he loves us and he wants to have a relationship with us. That's what he wants more than anything else. He wants to redeem your life. 
That's why he came. He's the redeemer. Finally, in verses 41 to 52, his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem according to the custom of the feast. And when they had finished the days, as they returned, the boy Jesus lingered behind in Jerusalem. And Joseph and his mother did not know it. But supposing him to have been in the company, they went a day's journey and sought him among their relatives and acquaintances. So when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem seeking him. Now so it was that after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. So when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you done this to us? Look, your father and I have sought you anxiously. And he said to them, Why did you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? But they did not understand the statement which he spoke to them. Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject to them. But his mother kept all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. Every year, every Jewish family was required to go to three feasts. Often, if they couldn't afford it, they would skip two and they would go to the Passover. If you didn't go to Passover, it was like that family member that never calls, that you'd never hear from. It was like the person who says they believe in God, but they never go to church. That, that's what it would have been like. You had to go to Passover. Everybody went. And year after year, they went. Jesus was 12 years old. And he decides this time he's going to stay behind. And they all leave. It's time to go back. They're caravanning the women and the children first, the men behind. They get a day's journey out, and they don't know where Jesus is. They start asking, hey, have you seen Jesus? Was he with you guys? No, I, don't, I haven't seen Jesus. I thought he was with you guys. And so they turn around, and they go back another day. And then they look for him for an entire day. And finally, they find him in the temple, amazing the religious leaders and the scholars with his wisdom and his answers. And they say, Jesus, what are you doing to us? Momentarily, Mary and Joseph forgot about the angelic vision. They forgot about the shepherds. They forgot about all of the things that they knew about Jesus and who he is. And for a moment, they thought he's just another 12-year-old boy being rebellious. Why, why aren't you with us? And Jesus gently and lovingly reminds them of who he is. Why are you surprised? Don't you know I need to be about my father's business? And then after that, we see Jesus very humbly going back with his family, submitting to them. He didn't have to do that. But again, he chose to do that because of who he is and what he wanted to accomplish. And I also see that Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. Don't assume, you guys, that Jesus was born and that he knew everything the moment he was born. He grew in wisdom just like any other child. And again, if I was God, I would say, look, okay, if we're going to do this and I'm going to take on human flesh, then I want to be born like at 30 and just get this over with. But that's not what Jesus did. He grew just like our children grow and he learned and he matured. But I want to close with this. Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? What was his father's business? To seek and to save that which was lost. And this morning, some of you, some of you need to respond to the seeking of God. You need to respond 
to his invitation. You need to recognize that the heart of the gospel is not about him cleaning up your life or giving you a better life, but he wants to give you a new life, and he can do that today. And the Bible says if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved, and you can do that today. Some of you this morning, maybe you've walked away from him. Maybe you believe in him. Maybe you come here all the time, but you just need to rediscover Jesus We invite you to come and to do that. We'll have people up here to pray with you. We'll have people here to come alongside of you. We're going to close in song, and I invite you guys to respond to the message. Do not leave here today thinking another Christmas service in the books without responding to who Jesus is. Let's stand together. You've been listening to Pastor Ryan Couch of Calvary Chapel, Crook County. For more information, you can write to us at P.O. Box 378, Prineville, Oregon, 97754. Thanks for listening, and God bless.